This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. I would guess that most of you listening today are serving on the front lines of a nonprofit organization. Day in and day out, you are serving the needs of your community. And along the way, you run into resource challenges, staff conflict, and leadership struggles. Well, my guests today are right there with you, serving on the front lines. They're both executive directors of nonprofits, and they both happen to serve in mountain towns, which provide a bit of a microcosm as to what is going on around our country when it comes to affordable housing, or lack thereof, along with the struggle to find workers and enough funds to keep their organization growing. Well, my guests today are Brianne Snow, the executive director of FERC, Family and Intercultural Resource Center based in Summit County, Colorado, and Cheryl Lunn, the executive director of 122, a nonprofit based in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I think you're going to really enjoy today's show. Well, hey, Cheryl and Brianne, it's great to have you on the show today. So give my listeners a quick overview of each of your organizations. And then could you answer this question? Why do you do what you do? In other words, what drew you into nonprofit work in the first place? And Brianne, maybe we could start with you on that one. Sure. I am the executive director of the Family and Intercultural Resource Center, or FERC as we call it. Um, And that's a social services nonprofit focused on basic needs and social determinants of health. Uh, We have a wide variety of programming, including food, parenting, mental health, access to care, supportive services, and then we also have a nonprofit thrift store. We serve all of Summit County, Colorado, and it's a a resort-based community with an incredibly high cost of living, uh, the second highest in our state. I was drawn to this work because of how I grew up. We had to rely on public services and programs in order to make ends meet. And I watched my mom engage in these supports to go from a struggling single parent of three to a college graduate working her way towards stability. And so I realized that much of my family's success was determined by the relationships that my mom formed with the folks working in these nonprofits. And they really gave her the encouragement she needed to keep going. So it was something that I was immediately drawn to and wanted to give back to a cause that I actually knew changed lives for that person and for future generations. I love hearing that. So it sounds like a very personal reason for you to get involved because of your own experience growing up. Always enjoy hearing what drives people, what motivates people to get into the nonprofit sector. So thank you for sharing that. Cheryl, talk about your organization and what drew you into this work. Sure. So I'm the executive director of 122 Resource Center in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And we admire FERC so much. We watch them and study them and talk to them, call them. Um, we're similar, but we're founded a little bit differently. We're the, mer- we're the result of a merger for grassroots, uh, I would say, relief-based organizations. So 122 was formed as a result of that. We offer a food pantry. We offer rent assistance and other kinds of financial assistance, language support uh, in sort of critical, high stakes um, areas, and 
then also financial empowerment and capability building. So it's similar. I've been here for five years. Before that, I was uh, with a domestic violence agency here in town called the Community Safety Network. Um, but my path to nonprofit work was really through the business sector, through um, a background in public relations and communications way back before there was social media, any of the tools that there are now. But I was always uh, volunteering was a big part of my life. I volunteered for the uh, Community Safety Network. And so I think that what drew me into nonprofit work was just a love for the mission and a a desire to bring some of that sort of business acumen as the stakes for running a nonprofit were raised. Um, I love being around program staff. I have such respect for social workers and and community-based providers. I feel really lucky to be associated with what they do and take, you know, the admin stuff that they don't like doing. I'll I'll take that. They can take the other. It's great. You know, we've had multiple conversations about how the executive director specifically or the CEO and really many roles in a nonprofit, particularly when you're starting a nonprofit or it's a smaller nonprofit, you end up wearing a lot of hats, right? And so I thought maybe we could dive in specifically to the role of the executive director of CEO. I know we use different titles for that. What in your opinion, because you both have served in this role for a while, what is the most unique aspect of being a CEO or executive director? And what's the most challenging aspect of serving in your role? What would you say to that? And maybe we could start with you, Cheryl. Well, I think that similar to Brianne, I'm running an organization in a very expensive town. Teton County is the most wealthy county in America. And we have the greatest wealth divide. And That's so, so fascinating. You've got, yeah, the full spectrum, yeah, don't you? The challenges for me as CEO may or may not be the same as others, but it's it's having a foot in multiple worlds. So needing to run the organization with a level of professionalism that is going to meet the needs and expectations of a donor base that has a lot of expectation without losing the perspective of the soul of the community and that grassroots constituency, because that's so critical. It's the heart of all of it. So how do you do both? And I think the most challenge, the second most challenging aspect is decision-making right now. I think, yep, that's real. You know, we just have to listen, 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 but we, somebody ultimately has to decide. And in this COVID, post-COVID, whatever we want to call this period right now. Yeah, I don't think anyone has a real name. It's pretty <laughs> tough. Yeah. No, well said. I appreciate you saying that. I can definitely relate as a fellow ED CEO. Uh, Brian, what would you add to that? Um, I would say that my favorite unique aspect of being an ED of, of my nonprofit is just the opportunity to be actively involved in shaping my own community on a day-to-day basis. It's fascinating because I get to be at the table with other amazing community leaders, and I get to bring this perspective of our working families to help inform that decision-making that can be so difficult. I just bring another perspective to the table. And so it's really unique. There's a lot of unique aspects. You do all of the things. You can leave a meeting early with the governor because you need to go 
and transport meat from one food pantry to another because a freezer breaks down. Like that's just something that happens on a day-to-day basis. That's a normal thing, isn't it? That's right. (laughs) Right. There's never a dull moment. (laughs) So that's also very unique. In terms of challenges, um, there's a lot of challenges to working at a nonprofit. But I think for us right now is that stable funding and retaining the workforce that we need in order to operate. Right now, um, Cheryl will agree with me. It's really hard in, in mountain towns right now. You know, there's a lot of, of funding that goes to urban areas, and some of the rural resorts get kind of uh, forgotten about in a lot of ways. And so, to be able to pay a wage that will attract and retain employees and and really give employees the kind of support that they need to continue in the nonprofit sector is really difficult because of that funding coming and going. So that's, that's I think, the most difficult thing for me right now. I could resonate with both of you. Thanks for sharing that. And I think that leads to the next question. You know, I've had many conversations with you both, with people on the show before, that there, if you want to boil it down, there's kind of three key sectors, right, to helping to address some of the community's biggest needs. It's the government sector, the for-profit sector, and then the nonprofit sector. What would you say makes the nonprofit sector so special or set apart from the other two, in your opinion, from your experience? Because I know you work with the government sector, you work with the for-profit sector, of course, but you're leading organizations in the nonprofit sector. Again, what separates out, in your opinion, the nonprofit sector? Yeah, um, for us, uh, we do work really closely with all of those sectors we need all of those sectors to really get things done in our community. But what I noticed um, since um, being in nonprofit work and certainly during the pandemic is we have the ability to be totally creative with how we operate. We can, this is a big buzzword, I apologize for using it, but we can pivot. That's <laughs> <laughs> just so um, true. And- <laughs> it's true though. Mm-hmm incredibly quickly to meet our community need. Whereas for-profit and government entities have more hoops to jump through, a little bit more bureaucracy to get things to where they would like them to be or change directions altogether. And I think that we're really lucky in the nonprofit sector because we can change on a dime. And that was, you know, we have evidence of that when we, in our response to the pandemic, you know, we got calls from both of those sectors to do certain things while they were sorting out their own processes. And so we were able to jump in immediately and be available. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. And that's a good word, pivoting and nimbleness, I know is another term we've heard describing. So I completely agree. Cheryl, what would you add to that? Yeah, I see it very similarly. I think there is a blur, more of a blur between government, business, and nonprofit than that, at least than I've observed before. Where maybe I'm uh, just lucky to live in a in a small town, but in my experience, our small local government, you know, really is focused on doing the very best that they can do for for the people that live here. And so are local businesses. I think there's more interest in the business sector in, you know, social enterprise and business-based philanthropy and volunteering and so on. So that part, I think, is really wonderful sort of environment to be in. But I I was thinking the very same thing as Brianne. In the nonprofit sector, we can put our head down and get it done. We don't have, we do have a broad constituency, but it's, it's not as broad as local government. And, you know, of course, we have a responsibility to fiscal responsibility and being, uh, having integrity with what 
funds and resources we have, but it is not intended for anything other than to do good work. So we definitely do have the ability to just move. That's awesome. I love that one. I know I've seen both of you in action, at least via Zoom and through your newsletters and emails and website. Uh, and I, both of you pivot really well. And I think COVID was a test in a sense of all nonprofits to be able to be nimble and pivot in uh, unprecedented times, really. Um, well, and then I feel like that's a, a good segue too into the next question about trends. Both of you have been in these positions for a while. What are the trends you're seeing in your own organization and perhaps the nonprofits in your community or perhaps even broader? If you, if you feel like you know, you're seeing trends throughout the country too, what are those trends right now? It could be because of COVID, maybe, maybe not, maybe it was even before COVID, but when it comes to finances, fundraising, maybe it's affordable housing you know, with the, the communities you live in, um, it could be staffing and retention. What are those big trends that you're seeing are really affecting the nonprofit sector right now? Cheryl, maybe we'll start with you and then Brianne. Yeah, I think that a lot of the challenges that we're seeing are affecting all organizations. So, you know, I don't know of a government or business organization in our community that is not struggling with affordable housing for their staff, that is not struggling with turnover. I think that revenue is difficult, but, you know, margins are shrinking. Small businesses facing rising rent costs just like our local residents are. So that I think is very similar. In many mountain communities, there's an influx of new residents. Many of those folks want to be part of the organization, part of the organization, part of the community, you know, as soon as they possibly can, which is really wonderful that um, they want to be part of something. So that's that's an interesting trend. It certainly puts pressure on all of those other forces. But what I think is slightly different maybe in the fundraising arena is that many of our new supporters, we have to make the connection for them that when they move to a tax-friendly state like Wyoming that does not have a state income tax, that means that there's a lack of funding for the services that they had in their, in their previous residence that was government-funded. So great point. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's a people love to move to Wyoming to, you know, have that sort of tax break. But as a result, our counseling center, our youth violence um, prevention programs, programs like ours, addiction programs, literacy programs, things that that have more funding in other states have a much different ratio here. So there's a lot more sort of economic education required for new residents to the community. That's a real, I never thought about it in that context, uh, an economic education actually for people coming to a new context, like a new state that doesn't have income tax. That really does make a difference because right, there's so many social services they may have expected in their previous state, but they're not there. So they have to lean into the nonprofit sector. That's a great input. Um, okay. Brian, I mean, yeah, go ahead, have, go ahead. Yeah. Um, there's not, there's not state funding for the work that we do at 122. There's a little bit for food. Okay. Uh, but there is no um, family resource center funding like there is, I know, in Colorado, California. I don't know if there is in Utah. So, Do you have local support? Does your local city or county give you any support? Yeah, absolutely. But, okay. Um, and every dollar counts. But in our organization, our funding is about 
to 95% private fundraising. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So, you know, we're doing as much economic education with our donors as we are with our clients. That's a really good point. I'm glad you're bringing that up. I think um, it'll be interesting to hear in Brianne just a second, but maybe you can even touch on this too, the percentage of your giving and your, uh, what, what is it? Is it from grants, federal grants, state grants? Is it from private individuals? Because I think my guess is most nonprofits across the country, particularly if you're smaller and you're not taking on huge contracts that the state would support, um, would be primarily privately funded. But Brianne, what's your experience in Colorado and Breckenridge? Um, so we are actually really heavily funded by foundations in our area. So and again, we, private foundations, I'm assuming, is that correct? Um, private foundations, yes. And then we, um, unlike Cheryl, have uh, state and federal support as well as local government support. So those are our nice. Okay, that's big, good. Those are our big percentages of fund funders. Do you have a breakdown? Do you like? Is it a third, a third, third kind of, or what, what's the um, general about, breakdown? Let's see. It's probably it's almost half of that are foundations, state and local government. So it is Good. a huge chunk. Of that is our, a big chunk then. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a really big chunk and you know, it's hard to say what this will all turn into because um, COVID really changed the landscape of our fundraising and where we were able to access money. So I think that there's a lot of, uh, of moving parts when, when I, when I break it down. So that's where we are right now, but who knows and who's to say the state will still allocate funding to things like food in such a, a big way as they've been doing. So um, we might see that shift a lot in years to so, come. Yeah. What's your sense of the trend line again? Is it going towards more state and federal funding or less? What, what's your sense right now where you look today? Unfortunately, we're seeing uh, less. We're, we're already seeing less. And as I was thinking about this question, this the key trends that we're seeing that really, really affects us. It does. In our mountain community, we have a high cost of living, just like Cheryl. And the pandemic changed that even further than it was um, prior to that. We've always had a high cost of living here. It's always been incredibly difficult to access housing. But all of a sudden, we became this beautiful destination for people to move from um, big cities to work in a beautiful rural community and still hold those jobs in the larger cities working remotely in our towns. And so that affected those already high costs um, got even higher in terms of housing and the inventory got lower. And what it ultimately did is pushed our own local workforce out of our community. And so that affects our clients, obviously, but it also affects our staff because our staff was struggling to find housing and to stay in a community. And, and we need our staff in order to help the rest of the community stay in our community. So it was, it was really difficult. And for us, where that funding piece comes in is prior to the pandemic, we were seeing on a really, really busy day in our food pantry, we would see 25 families today, which is, you know, we're, we're a you know, allegedly in this post-pandemic world now, um, we're seeing 300. And so that's even wow. more than we saw during the height of the pandemic. And that's so, incredible. That big of a change. Wow. It's it's really tough. And we joke around that it is our housing program because people can't afford their housing. And so they're using our food resources in order to supplement their budget so all of their money can go towards food. And so when um, you know, we're getting, we're seeing those cuts in what is available to us because we're 
you know, as a nation moving on from this pandemic place, we're not really seeing that. And so it's really difficult to keep up with even more people in need than during the height of the pandemic at this point. And, and we're working with people that are, that are employed. They're, you know, they have one to two jobs. These are not folks that, that aren't bringing in an income. They just can't make it work in their budget. So it's, it's really difficult. We'll be right back. Well, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you will find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, including some from other countries, all trying to make their world better. When you go to our website, you can also subscribe to my monthly leadership update in order to get more content, ask me questions, and join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community. Just look for the subscribe button, which is on the top right-hand side. It's a real easy process. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. No, thanks for sharing that. I think that's going to be a surprise to many people. I mean, that is a drastic increase. Ironically, the nonprofit I lead here in Park City, we've seen an increase too since COVID, mostly because of inflation and the cost of food, the cost of everything, and the cost of housing, right? Yeah. So everything's more expensive and you're right. I mean, maybe the good news is for our organizations collectively, people understood, oh, there's a food pantry available and they're really maximizing that to you know, balance their budget. Flip side is it's not sustainable long-term. If you're seeing those big of numbers increase and you're getting less funding, that's an issue. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's a question then for fundraising, right? That's always on your mind, my mind as EDs, as CEOs, anybody working for a nonprofit, you're always thinking about fundraising. So a question I thought I'd ask is for donors that may be listening to this podcast, what is the one thing you would really want your donors to know about your organization and what you're trying to accomplish? So maybe Brian, we'll start with that. What would you like your donors to know? Yeah, I, I would want to say thank you. We've, we've been an incredibly challenging couple of years and I just would want to thank every one of my donors because we have been short-staffed and I've been on the ground and not doing as much uh, sitting and thanking people as I would have liked to. But what I want everybody to know is that your your money makes a huge difference in the lives of our local families. I think it's really cool that for less than $30, I can turn it into $200 worth of fresh produce, dairy, and meat for a family to avoid being hungry. That's I think cool. it's really incredible how we've learned to leverage those dollars to go as far as possible. Um, really just to make Summit County the best place to live. And I would just want people to know that we understand and we are good stewards of that money. And our passion is to put it back into the community and make a real difference. Oh, well said. I love that gratitude too. Cheryl, what would you say to your donors? Yeah, I think that it it has been challenging to to thank enough and to thank at the same scale that we're working. You know, because we're just just pounding it out every day and have been for the last two and a half years. I know that's what our donors want us to do. And, and so many folks don't thank me. <laughs> and it's, it is such an honor to have been trusted with these resources through this time. It's really gratifying and it is uh, definitely making a difference. I think there's a lot of fatigue. Like, when is this going to end? When are people going to be safer, less hungry, have greater well-being? 
like, when are we going to get back to what we thought was a more prosperous time? And I, I wish I had an answer for that, <laughs> but I think it's important for donors to know that serving neighbors is always a need. It's what we've always done. This is not new territory for our organizations. It's a new scale, but it's part of living in a community. It's like an anthropological reality that there will always be people in need around us. And I think our challenge in sort of being practical that this state that we're in is is not going away, at least for a while, is that we're working really hard to transform relief into an opportunity, whether that's an opportunity to be more connected to resources, more connected to their community, have a greater sense of belonging, that being in a state where it's difficult or impossible to make ends meet, you know, you have a lot of good company in that reality right now, and that you have a pathway to education if you want it. So really sort of trying to shift from, we're just working so hard to utilize every resource from giving fish. And we want to give a lot of fish to teaching to fish, to fishing with people. You know, that whole spectrum is what every resource is, is being directed to right now. Well said, I got a question for you. Do you feel like, and for this for both of you, uh, over the last two and a half years, is it truly been that there's more people hungry and more people struggling, or are we just more aware of it? Was it more uncovered or maybe somewhere in between? What, what would you say to that? Maybe Brand first, then Cheryl. Yeah, from what we're hearing from people is that they have never had to utilize some of these programs before. And so they're truly feeling the pinch in their budget and they have never experienced the need to access programming. So I think these are new people. Yeah, definitely. I was going to answer yes and yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit of both. Okay. And um, we had a, a shutdown like everybody did. It was not surprising that rent assistance requests shot through the roof. We, we were fortunate to be trusted with resources to get those out the door. And in 2020, thought provided services to almost 2,000 households in our community. You would have thought that was everyone, but every every two weeks, I, I'm seeing people that have never come to us before. So yeah, similar. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Well, I, I would like to see how that plays out when there's more research done, but we're sensing the same thing that people who have never accessed our food pantry are accessing it for the first time. So I think you're, I would say at least the three of us are seeing that trend as something that actually is going up and people are experiencing more economic difficulty than ever. Well, all right. So most of my listeners, as far as I can tell, are that listen to this podcast are on staff at a nonprofit, maybe board members, maybe they're serving as an executive director, development director, but there may be some listeners who are thinking about going to the nonprofit sector. Um, so for those who are listening and they're hearing this conversation, what would you say to them? What would be the reason why you would encourage them to go into the nonprofit sector? From your experience, why would you encourage them to do that? And maybe we'll start with you, Cheryl, and then Brianne. You know, we work with, it's an interesting question because we work with a lot of folks who are 85% plus of our clients are working. It's just not, they're just not earning enough. And, and their wages are increasing, but their rent is increasing. So. When I am thinking about folks 
looking at employment decisions, wherever they are on the economic scale. I think it's important for folks to think about advocating for their own needs as they consider making a change. And when looking at the nonprofit sector, I think it's really important to take a look at the mission of the organization and whether it's on point with your values. And I think that today there is more opportunity in the nonprofit sector to influence the mission, to there's more consensus building, I think, in most of the organizations I'm aware of with, within the staff. There's lots of listening. So it's a great environment to be able to have some influence, but it does still, at the end of the day, you have to look at what, what the mission of the organization actually is and does it align with yours because the days that are difficult are really difficult. And so when you can come back to that mission and say, oh, yep, okay, that's why I'm here, then that really makes a difference. And then secondly, is the compensation aligned with your economic needs? It's, I can't look someone in the eye and say that they should do something that threatens their security of of them and their family. I think nonprofits are working really hard to be competitive with wages and benefits and time off and so on and so forth. But I think I, I always think it's important to look at what your economic needs really are. And maybe your need is time off and not a paycheck. The nonprofit sector can be great at that. But more and more, I think nonprofits are providing an opportunity for both of those answers to be yes. That yes, the mission can be on point with your values. And yes, the compensation can be, you know, competitive. Not not always on top of, but it may not always win out, but organizations are, are, um, you know, we're, we realize we're going to lose our own staff if we don't. So I think both of those things are important for anyone considering a change. I like that. So mission alignment with your own values and just making sure, yeah, that the economic reality of what your needs are, are met within reason. So love that. That's very practical. Good stuff. Brianne, what would you add? Yeah, I totally agree with Cheryl. So um, yes, (laughs) but Uh, Personally, my favorite part about working in a nonprofit is working with like-minded people who have the passion and the skills to make a difference. I think that every challenge, there's so many challenges when you work at a nonprofit, but every challenge you face working leaves you and your staff and society stronger. Every day you move the needle towards building a better, more inclusive community, one that works for everyone and not just And I think that the sector allows for some creative solutions and innovative approaches that you wouldn't normally have the ability to do. But and it's super hard work, but you feel good uh, doing it. So I I think that there's a lot that you can gain from working at a nonprofit. It's incredibly difficult, but incredibly worthwhile. I resonate with that. There's a real reward, isn't there? The feeling like you're really making a difference in your community. You're moving the needle with some big issues like hunger, for example. Well, challenges, there's certainly challenges all the time. And maybe that's going to be my last question today. What are the biggest challenges facing your organizations? And then maybe more broadly speaking, what are the biggest challenges facing the nonprofit sector, say over the next three to five years? And Cheryl, maybe we can start with you and then Brianne, you can answer. Hmm. I think the biggest challenges are um, housing our staff and, and just because we're just seeing housing disappear at any price. So um, I mean, the inventory is just falling off a cliff. 
Um, so that is a huge challenge for our organization because we can we can refine and hone our mission. We can plan all kinds of wonderful things together with our community to meet needs, but but it's our really just beloved, precious members of our team that are as threatened in this environment as as our clients are. So that that I think is the biggest challenge. And challenges facing the nonprofit sector as a whole. It's hard for me to think of a challenge that is different than any other organization. I, I, I guess I feel really tied to small business in our community and, and see them just really having so many of the same difficulties. Nobody really knows what next year holds or the year after that. And being nimble and sort of ready for anything that life could throw at your organization, for-profit or nonprofit, is tiring. And I, I think resilience is a challenge for every leader and will continue to be for the next three to five years, at least. Well said. I would resonate that. Resilience is so critical. I think particularly now, maybe more than ever. So I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Brianne, what would you say? The biggest challenge facing your organization, then again, it's nonprofit sector as a whole. Yeah, I think we have really similar challenges that I feel like the whole nonprofit sector is experiencing. Um, certainly for us, housing is a huge issue, but bigger than that for, for me and looking at it more widely is burnout and turnover uh, directly related to what we've all been through with the pandemic. I think that it's really time for nonprofit leaders like ourselves and boards to have really tough conversations and start addressing the root causes and start shifting the approach to understanding that um, caring for the community is so important. And we also have to do the same for our staff. We really need a healthy workforce that exists and is willing to do this hard work in order to make the differences that we're trying to achieve in the lives of our clients. And so I just think we have to have some really tough conversations about how to support them and how to make this be sustainable as a career because I I know that it's it is really tough but it's really rewarding and so if we can build in supports to help allow people to actually continue on in this sector imagine what we can do would love that both of you thank you so much um, you're both really on the front lines uh, in the nonprofit world uh, because of what you do and who you serve in your communities so thanks for sharing your insights today. I think some people may want to find out a little bit more about you and your organization. So what's the best way to do that for your organization one and for you personally, if you want people to reach out to you, what's the best way to reach you? Maybe you, Brianne, first, then Cheryl. Yeah, I would love for anybody that's interested to visit our website, www.summitberk.org, F-I-R-C. And all of my contact information is on there. If you want to speak to me directly, I um, love talking to people about what we do and um, brainstorming about how we can do it better. And yeah, there, it has all of our program information. So please. Love it. Sounds good. Cheryl? Yeah, likewise. Our website is a great way for people to see what we're doing with our clients. It's O-N-E-2-2-J-H for Jackson.org, 122JH.org. And my contact information is on there. And we just love new ideas. And the more, uh, the more input, the better. So. Yeah, I'd love to love to talk to anyone who's um, interested in what we're doing or has some ideas that have worked in their communities. I'd love to be able to beg, borrow, or steal or share 
<laughs> That's part of the nonprofit way, right? There you go. Well, Cheryl, Brianne, thank you so much for sharing your insights today. Really, I, I so enjoy uh, you as colleagues, you know, being able to work together to approach these mountain town issues that we're facing, but also to share your insights with our audience. Thank you. I think you're going to really enjoy this. Listeners, check out their websites and uh, find out a little bit more about them. But thanks again for taking time to be on the show. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community. Find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.